So won't you open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 19. At worship time just did not feel enough, it was so good to worship Jesus. And uh, what a reason this morning, we're going to zone in on what we glory in as a church is the cross and what it means for us and the world. And so I didn't want to just dive into our text, which is one, one verse for this, week, um, for this weekend. Um, I wanted to start off with the, just reading about the, the, the cross and what happened to Jesus. And so we're going to read from John chapter 19, verse halfway through 16. And then if you can put your other finger by Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Those are the two uh, parts of scripture we're going to read this morning, and uh, I'd like you to listen carefully and take in that this is fact. This is not a story that we're reading of anyone's imagination. This is what happened to Jesus. John 19, verse 16. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There... They crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate, that was the guy who allowed Jesus to be crucified, also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic. In Latin and in Greek. No one could miss that. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which Jesus says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, and we're going to jump to verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, with that in mind, let's read Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, verse. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of the Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This morning, I want to talk about and start maybe in a very strange place. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the centrality of the cross. And um, I want to ask you this morning, 
I'm calling you the nine o'clock on Good Friday. I'm not used to all the services are out now, so I'm going to have to. Uh, is what is the symbol that when everybody sees, they say that's Christianity? What is the symbol that they see? Come and say it out loud. They see the cross. Now, don't you think it's fascinating that we as a faith have made the symbol of what we represent a symbol of brutal execution and death. There was no more excruciating way to die than the cross. And at the center of our whole faith is what we proclaim to the world is death. Now, if you like me, you're here for life this morning. And also as a Christian, intrinsically you believe that what's on offer in the Christian faith is life, right? Why is it then that we have a symbol of death at the center of what we are proclaiming to the world. The trademark of Christianity is the cross. And I just want to, I do this quite often now. I want to say I still can't get my head around the fact that we call what happened to an innocent man murdered in a brutal way on the cross 2,000 years on a Friday that we proclaim to the world as being good. Hey, I mean, if you've been invited by your friend here this morning, maybe you're here with family, I would forgive you if you thought that the Christian faith is sadistic. I really would. Because we're always talking about death. Even Paul, when in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he looks back over 2,000 years ago, he says, what happened to Jesus is what I glory in. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. When Paul starts to talk about what happened 2,000 years ago, he says, I'm a part of that. And he unashamedly says to these Galatians, I glory in it. And so if you're here this morning wondering, why are we getting so excited about death? I would forgive you. Here we are praising. <laughs> and here this guy up on stage is talking about a brutal death of an innocent man called Jesus. And this morning, you're going to hear a lot about death, and I want to explain why. You see, it's a good question to ask if maybe you're investigating the Christian faith, why it always seems to point to death all the time. Don't you see, it's interesting if you've maybe read some of the first four books of the New Testament. They're biographies. They're the story of Jesus. Don't you think it's fascinating that the largest chunk that the narratives, the guys who recorded Jesus' life gives to is his death? Isn't a biography supposed to be about a person's life? Biology, bio is a study of life. Don't you think it's fascinating that on the one aspect of Jesus' life that they devote chapters to and they do the preamble to, you almost have this picture of the cross right from Jesus' birth hanging over his whole narrative. Is his death. And more than that, what is fascinating for me is we know nothing about aspects that were very helpful to me. I would love to know how Mary parented him, how an obedient child looked. <laughs> I really would. And say, Sarah, that's your model. I would love to say to youth here, this guy, is, that's how you handle puberty. Jesus, come on, give me some help here. Instead, it's a blank for 30 years. And what you are left with is this guy, Jesus Christ. And they focus on a, a short little time, maybe three years, and then there's death. I mean, that's crazy. No other book in the world has done that. And some of these other things is when you come into the church, what's the first thing you see? You see this cross. You see it on steeples. You see it hanging around people's necks. 
is death confronts you the moment you come into contact with the Christian faith. And I want to say to you why the Christian faith is so radical is because it has a different approach to any other. The first thing the Christian faith wants to get you thinking about is the last thing we want to think about. It's called death. Not so. We are experts at designing the most fun, cool stuff to keep us preoccupied from the one thing we don't really want to think about. It's death, right? How about this? You, run, you have a nice dinner party. You want to have a nice salah kind of atmosphere. Do you think it's going to be a fun topic to introduce? So what do you think about death? Do you think guys are going to have a great time around the table? No, you talk about what do you do this weekend? Where's your life going? Hey, maybe I want to hook up with you. Do you want to join me in my life? That's what we think about. Guys, but when we think about this, this question, the Christian faith, is, it, it confronts you again and again of saying, you have got to think about death. Because unless we think about death, we will not think about life correctly. And I want to say the difficulty for us is we are running down the clock of our lives. That's what we do with sports, with these hobbies. I mean, to be a 21st century human being, it is one of the most spoilt, it is the most spoiled generation for choice. Not so? Netflix, you go on, you can do whatever you like to entertain yourself. There is no, I don't hear anybody, anybody anymore as adults saying they're bored. Anybody said that lately? There's just no time to be. And I want to say to you, the difficulty is that is that the clock is running in our lives. And, and what we do is we, we wait and we resist and we don't think about the one important question until we really have to. You're lucky if you get there to think about death. Now, the problem is this. These great, this great question of thinking about death leads you to a second question, which is really important. It's not just what happens in, in the life after death. It's whether or not what I do in this life affects the next. Because if what I do in this life does, I better be careful because I want to start living in a way that does produce something that I want after death. But you see, by us being so preoccupied by things that keep us away from this big question, it stops us from engaging in what the Christian faith says. Guys, what we do this side of the grave matters in the next. And that is why death, when you talk about death, it is the most powerful tool the Christian faith leverages to focus our lives. You see, until you start thinking about death, you really can't start thinking about life. What's really important? What's really the priority? What's really going to matter? What's really going to be the thing that is going to stand? And I want to say to you this morning, the proof that all men and women are equal is because all men and women die. You know what death does? Is it says to the rich man, the day you die, you will be standing equal with the man who has nothing. The man who is a brilliant mind or woman, the brilliant scholar, you might have such a great intellect, but you will be standing with the simplest person next to you. The day death knocks on your door will make you realize you are no different to every other human being. There is no wealth. There is no intellect. There is nothing in your life that can rescue you or cause you to escape what is inevitable for all men and women. So I ask you the question this morning, is what are you giving your life to? And will it mean anything in that moment of death? Because, my friend, it is coming. And the Christian life 
is profound. The Christian faith will say to you, you are not ready to live until you are ready to die. I will say it again. The reason why the cross is at the center of the church is because it says you are not ready to live until you are ready to die. Now, I want to bring it home a little bit closer to us. Paul says, this thing of what we're doing on Good Friday, of remembering the cross, it is something intensely personal. Paul says like this, I, first person singular for the linguists here, I have been crucified with Christ. When Paul talks about the cross, he's not gazing from it from a 2,000 year distance if it was us today. He's going, I was there. What happened on that Friday happened to me. I am intricately caught up with what happened to Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning, that is the right view of Easter, is being able to see Easter as us playing a significant role and part of what the cross proclaims. And it's profound. I never saw this before. Can I be honest? How many of you have been to Good Friday services? Hmm, that must have been a long time. You're going, oh my word, I think this sounds so familiar. Can I say to you, is this familiar? Do you know that when Paul looks at the cross, he sees two men on it, not one. He says, I, me, when I look at the cross, I have been crucified with Christ. He not only sees this glorious Jesus on the cross, when he sees the cross with his mind's eye, he sees him. And then he sees the second person is this glorious divine Savior, Jesus, hanging on the cross. I ask you, have you ever thought of it that way, that when you look at the cross, do you see you? And do you see Jesus, or is it just Jesus? Is, is the cross just Jesus' property? I want to say to you today, no, no, my friend. Paul could see himself on the cross. And why could Paul see himself on the cross? Why could he say, I have been crucified with Christ? I want to just push pause for a moment quickly and let you in on some of my thinking this week as I've been pondering this thing of death. You know, don't you think death is a very strange thing? To me, it seems so unnatural. Death should not be around. And the more I think about it, the more I think about it's true. Do you know why? Because our instincts as human beings, and I would say every creature, our instinct is to live. The scientists call it survival instinct. If you look at a buck running away from a lion, it doesn't just roll over and say, eat me. It wants to live. It's escaping death. My friend, you were born with this thing in your soul of saying, I should live forever. And the reason why we don't like death is because something has been introduced into our lives that should not be there. Our very instincts wrestle against it. Our very nature pushes up against this thing called death. We don't like it. It shouldn't be there. And we try to run as fast as we can from it. And the more I think about it is, guys, as human beings, we have been hotwired for life. We have been knitted together, not for death, for life. And the amazing thing that I see is when death comes into our lives, we intrinsically are, ugh. You know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a young guy still, but I've only done a few funerals. And any of you who have been to a funeral like myself, you go, this should not be. The grief and the loss and the trauma of losing the friendship and the feeling of somebody close to you removed by death, it should not be. And we try and wrestle with this grieving of saying, 
God, why? That is the most natural question when death hits a life is why? And so I want to say to you this morning, the reason why I believe the Bible is so right is because the Bible portrays a picture which I see is the reality of human beings. The Bible says the author of all life, the God of all things, the, the giver of life created the heavens and the earth. And when he created you and me and this glorious planet earth, it was teeming with life. There was no death. But something happened that was not from God's. In other words, it was unnatural. And the Bible says it came through this thing called sin. Sin inherited through our forefathers, Adam and Eve. Don't like it. It's sin confirmed in our own lives. And this thing of death came into the world through sin so that though we were hot-wired for life, for God, to live forever, this sin came in and this unnatural death was introduced that we're going, this should not be. This should not be. And so when Paul looks at the cross, he doesn't see it as just being meant for Jesus. He sees the cross as being meant for him because on that cross which proclaims death, he is meant to die for his own sin. I ask you the question today, church, is Easter the start of Christ on the cross or you? Do you believe the cross is for Jesus or the cross is for you? I want to say to you this morning, for you and me, the cross is designed for humanity. That sentence of the cross is meant for our sin. That cross is not meant for the Son of God. That cross is meant for human beings who have rebelled against the glorious divine judge who has done all things well for us and we rebelled against his word. And the reality is that cross proclaims our sentence. And so Paul can say, when I look at the cross, I see me because I see the crucifixion of my body for the sake of my sin. But then he does something wonderful. He says, when I look at the cross, I don't just see me. I see Jesus. Now, my friends, if there is one person who should not be on a cross, it is Jesus Christ. You see, we've become so familiar. This is me. Oh, Jesus on the cross. Yay, yay. Thank you that I don't have you. Paul's saying, guys, just push pause for a moment in your Easter brains and think about this for a moment, that when we view the cross, the very last person who should be on it is Jesus Christ. And Paul says some big terms in this one verse. He says, this man is the Christ. He is the sent one from God. Not only is he the same one from God, he is the son of God. He says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is not even just a man. He is God himself. And I say to you this morning, this cross portrays the crucifixion of the son of God coming in the flesh. And let me tell you, that son of God is perfect. The verdict on the life of the son of God was not guilty. If anybody was not meant to be on the cross, it is Jesus. No, my friends, this morning, when we view the cross, the radical miracle of Easter is saying, Paul is saying, I'm on the cross because of my sin. But lo and behold, Christ is on the cross because of my sin. And this, this wonderful thing is we need to get, you know why the church glories in the cross? Because it is a proclamation to the world that God is true. Do you know why? Because this divine God of all justice, this God of justice, and you might say, I don't like the fact that he's going to judge me for my sin. I ask you this morning, if you don't like justice, why are you so happy and longing for it in society? Let me tell you, you want the person who stole your car to be put into prison, not so? 
You want those that have wronged you to be put in. You want politicians who are corrupt to face the consequences. Not You want justice, not so. But when it comes to us, we don't like it. And I want to say to you, the world is the perfect display of this divine judge who is truly just. And let me tell you, when Paul sees himself on the cross, he's affirming the justice of God and saying, I'm meant to be there. I have no court case in heaven that can ever let me free from my consequence of sin. When the God who sees my heart, he sees my thoughts, he sees my mouth, he sees in the darkness when nobody sees, when I'm in the closet of my darkness and, and there's nobody else around you, he sees exactly what I'm doing. He has the perfect case against me for my sin. When he sees, Paul says, myself on the cross, he's saying, I'm seeing the divine justice of what God rightly has to do to me. But secondly, wow, when he sees the cross, he sees Jesus. If he sees in his own crucifixion the justice of God, he sees the love of God perfectly displayed scandalously merciful, poured out in Christ. You ask me, how can a just God be a perfectly loving God? How can a just God who demands the consequences of sin be so merciful? My friend, it's the cross. The church says, gaze on the cross for the consequences of sin and then God's loving, awesome ministration of mercy in Jesus. And Paul says, this love is personal. I don't want any of you to feel like you're not connected to the cross today. You know what Paul says? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. And the life when I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is all personal. I don't know what you call them, pronouns, whatever teachers help me out here. That it's all in the personal tense. He's saying, when you look at your life in the cross, not one of you must feel unloved. Can I get an Amen. No, one of you must feel that this is not for me. Paul says this is for me, and it's for you, my friend. I'm so worried today that you see a church disconnected from your life. I'm so worried you see a Christian faith that makes no sense to you in your everyday living. And in actual fact, to be a human being is to be lonely, to be troubled by sickness and anguish and all these kinds of fretful things that are happening in the world. To be a human being is to feel alone. And for some of us here this morning, you see a disconnected Christian faith and a God that kind of just meets in a building and they preach a sort of rosy gospel that has no impact in our personal lives. I want to say to you, God sees your life and he's come after you in the love of Christ. Not one of you must feel like God has not got his eye on you or his hand upon you. And today his hand has brought you here to hear not just the justice of God, but how he overcame his own character for the sake of your sin. He could have just said, there could be one person on the cross who said, no, I want two because I want you. Today, my friend, you need to know in Christ, God has displayed a divine love that cannot be matched by anybody. And it's for you. It's for you. Nobody else. You must feel it as if it was just for you. So this leaves us... (laughs) With only two options. It's a very logical statement that Paul is making here. I have been crucified with Christ. He says, for the human being here this morning, there's really only two options. Is either you're going to die without Christ or you're going to die with Christ. That's it. So simple. Is that God is saying to you this morning, those are your options in this life. The reason why I've got to get you to think about death is because how are you going to die? Are you going to die with Christ? Or are you going to die without Christ? Because the two have radical different destinations and radical different ramifications. And this is how Paul explains it like this. 
He says, if you want to die without Christ, in other words, you don't want to apply Christ's death on the cross. You only want you on there. Good luck, my friend. You're going to bear the full consequences of your sin. And I'm going to say it again. No court case, no matter how much you present, will let you off the hook. We do not realize how much God knows about us. I don't think anybody is arrogant enough here this morning to say they can present a perfect case to a perfect God. So what's the solution? It's God presenting a perfect Savior for a polluted people. And so Paul says, here's your offer. You on the cross without Christ or you on the cross with Christ, not alone, facing the judgment with the greatest champion of heaven, being able to stand before this God who's the judge of heaven and earth, and to be told Christ's death is sufficient for your release. To be told that on this cross, the past of all the accusation, of all the failure and all the sin and all the regrets can be crucified in Christ so that the new man, the new woman, can be resurrected in him. So that in your, your life, your standing between heaven and earth is entirely new. Friends, this is mighty stuff we're preaching on this morning. This is not just a little thing of pushing a pencil and saying, I feel good, around the story of the cross. This is the intersection of God's love into the reality of human beings. And I want to say to you this morning, if you will recognize your need for Jesus, in other words, you want what Christ has done. You don't want to die alone. That's the bottom line. You recognize, I need to be crucified with Christ. He is my salvation. That you know that you're a sinner like me. That the court case in heaven is just too, 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 too thorough. You can't escape. You can't lie your way out or, or work your way out. The sentence is final. That Christ is sufficient for the salvation of sinners. If that's what you're running to this morning, oh my goodness. You're running to life. You're running to freedom. You're running to peace. And so this morning, if you are in that place and you have never stretched out an empty hand of faith to Jesus to say, rescue me, now is the time. Now is the time. God is here. And you might ask the good question. I hope you're asking me, how does he save me? How does my life Get caught up with Christ so that I am crucified with him. Might not make much sense or matter to you. I tell you, it matters to me. Big time. Paul says this. He says, don't you know, when you stretch out a hand of faith to God and ask him to rescue you in Jesus Christ, do you know what you receive? You receive Jesus. That's not the Sunday school receiving. It is receiving Christ at this level. Of everything he is becomes yours. Do you know what that means? That means from the second life came to him through that radical conception of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, right from that very moment, everything he did to perfectly please God becomes yours because Christ is yours. And then amazingly, that death that he dies on this good fire that we call, you die with him. 
Do you know what that means? Is that that old Matt Johnson, that old Dane who put your name in there, whatever it was that was uh, held guilty before God, what happens in that moment is it gets crucified with Christ on the cross. And I ask you today, here's an illustration of how powerful this is. Let's say I have done a hit and run and I'm, I'm going to be arriving in court tomorrow. If I die, can they charge me? Can the law get to me if I'm dead? Are they going to haul my corpse up into the courtroom, try and prop me up like a dummy and say, Matt Johnson, you're guilty. Are they going to throw the corpse in jail? Can the law touch a dead man or dead woman? No. Isn't that liberating for you? Let me tell you, your position in Christ is so powerful that when Satan comes and says, look what you did. Look, God, look what so-and-so did. God goes, but that person's dead. They're not alive. Christ is alive. Oh, and look, they're in Christ. And that is the radical nature of what's being offered here, is that if you share in his death, you will also share in his resurrection. And what that means is, notice what Paul says, is what gets resurrected? Was it the old man with all the failure or the old woman with all the sin and all the shame that suddenly there's kind of like a, a little bit of renovation propped up in the courts of heaven and you're trying to be good for God? No, let me tell you, that old man, old woman under sin, they died. So that Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Isn't that powerful? It is no longer I who live. That old man, it's dead. When Satan wants to pull you back to the past and say, look what you've done, you tell him, I've died. <laughs> and by the way, Christ died too. That's why Paul says, who can bring an accusation against the saints? Who can come and bring in accusation? When Satan enters the courtrooms of heaven, I don't know if he can, I'm using it as a picture, and he starts to accuse you before God, God laughs because he said, that man or woman is dead, buddy. Good luck. Take on Christ. Can you find anything wrong with him? Can you find anything wrong in what he did in his life? Let me tell you, his life is this guy's life. They are one. They're united. If you attack him, you attack Christ. Who's going to win? I hope this encourages you this morning. I'm going, yes. Do you know why? Because one of the great things is the audacity of the Christian faith to say it offers out eternal life. Isn't that audacious? I want to say to you this morning to say, why should I believe in Jesus? If someone comes to you and asks you, you say, because you need life, you're dead. In a nice way, of course. <laughs> but not just any life. Not life through having a nice psychology or having a nice body or having a nice material existence. No, nonsense. Those are physical things that can't solve a spiritual problem. The spiritual problem is we are eternally dead and we're going to confirm it when we die, when we're going to be permanently separated from God. There's a window now where God is able to reach us. But I say to you this morning, what the Christian faith offers is eternal life. Why can we make that statement? Because, my friend, we're not offering a life outside of Jesus Christ. We are offering Jesus Christ. Can Christ die? Can Christ be separated from the love of the Father? 
Can Christ be conquered by sin? Can anybody like Christ who has risen from the grave be shut down in death? I want to say to you this morning, the glory of Easter is to say, the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And therefore, my friend, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have access to eternal life because you've been given Christ. So I say to you, Why is this so significant? I've got three kinds of people quickly on my heart this morning. There are some here who are trapped, trapped in a life of repeated sin. And you're stuck. And in a sense this morning, the damage of that is you're saying, God can't save me. I'm out of reach. I want to say to you today, you've got two options. The first is this, is have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because until you do, my friend, you're alone on the cross. You're under the power of sin and darkness. And the reason why you cannot break free is because you are trapped by the dominion of sin and death. And let me tell you, to be human is to have the sense of feeling trapped. Trapped by our own carnal appetites and behavior. And some of us are feeling like we are caught in the grip, a prisonhood, a prison cell of sin. I want to say to you this morning, you need Christ. You need to see Christ on the cross. You need to run to him this morning and say, Jesus, this is me. This sermon's for me. I know it's me. I've come to you over and over again, and I've tried to prove it in my own strength. I can do it. I've tried to prove it in my own capacity where Christ is saying, my friend, you are already dead because of the sin in you. Come alive in me because of my death for you. And today what's on offer is the life that Jesus is saying that he will come to you if you share in his death by sharing his resurrection. You will receive power. Power like the world has never known. Power that raised Christ from the dead. The living force, the powerhouse that raised Christ from the dead will be yours. And I want to say to you this morning, that is your starting place. You're trapped in some addiction. You're trapped in some difficulty. You're trapped in some sin. I want to say to you, have you accessed the power of grace that introduces you to the life-giving force of Jesus? Living inside through repentance and faith in him. But then for the Christian this morning, I want to ask you, do you feel like you're in the same place that you are saved? I want to say to you today, Easter for you is a reminder of who you are in Christ. The only way Satan can get at you is through his lying. You know what his lying is? Is you're defeated. He backs you into a corner and he says, there's no hope. I want to say to you this morning, if you have died with Christ, you have been resurrected with him. And the power of that resurrection is the greatest, listen to me, is the greatest force in 
their universe because it defeated the second greatest force under God, which was death. If Christ can defeat the chains of death, can anything else ever hold on you, I say? I say no, because Christ has risen and you have risen and the life that raised Christ from the dead has raised you. Can I get an amen? And so for you, the change starts with repentance of saying this, Lord, I believe what you say about me in Christ. The second is it it leads to a position. And for some of us here, I sense we have slipped or have never accessed what it means to be at peace with God. There is somebody here this morning, and I'm just being honest, might just be one. This is what I felt God put on my heart that is wrestling with a terribly guilty conscience. You can't sleep at night. You don't want to eat. It's affecting your health. There is somebody here who is trapped under the oppressive power of guilt. And I want to say to you this morning, this message is for you. Because what you need that the cross can provide is a perfect position before God. The reason why you are stuck in guilt is because you are still trying to work your way to peace with this mighty God of heaven who is perfect. Good luck. It's the cardinal sin of what is called self-righteousness. It is trying to prove you can be right before God in and of yourself. Can I say to you today, I know what it's like to live under that prison guard. He doesn't yield. And for you, if you have never seen your need for Jesus this morning, I want to point you to him because apart from Christ, you will never feel free. And so I want to invite you to come to Christ this morning and see him and what he is before the Father on offer to you. What do I mean by that? is that Jesus is welcomed into the courts of heaven. So are you. Is that Jesus is sinless before God. So are you. Is that Jesus is called and affirmed a child of God, the Son of God. So are you. That is what is on offer today, is the forgiveness and acceptance of the Father through the Son. For some of us here, even as Christians, I'm concerned this morning that Easter has become so impersonal that we live as though we were unsaved. We live in this guilt of of, of feeling disconnected and rejected by God. My friend, if Christ will never be rejected, neither will you. You say, I don't deserve that sort of treatment. You don't. Welcome to the grace of God. What is your point of recovery this morning? It is Christ and only Christ. Let me tell you, the greatest revelation I've had in my life is at my best, I need Christ's crucified death. And at my worst, I need Christ's crucified death because whether I'm at my best or at my worst, I'm never enough. (laughs) Isn't that comforting? No matter how you feel or how well you're doing, you can come to God. You can feel forgiven the last is this and I close is you can have a sense of purpose isn't it amazing Paul says I'm not just 
resurrected with Christ. And that's it. He says, no, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, Paul says, the second I came to faith, this resurrected life, it gave me incredible purpose. And may I say to you Christians in the room this morning, if you look across the world, how many people are experiencing life as meaningless? Not so. When you see the Brexit and you see the Trumps of this world and you see the trade wars and you see all these aspects that are happening in the life of the world, I'm telling you now, the greatest need, the greatest need that humanity needs at this moment is to discover the reason why they were born. They were born for God. And they need to understand that this life is not their purpose. It is the God of this life who is their purpose. And I want to say to you, if you do not feel like life is worth living, come and find Jesus. He'll tell you why it is. This morning, some of you, I just got to, guys, I'm just being, there's somebody suicidal here. There's somebody struggling with a deep sense of depression of what is the meaning of life? Why am I breathing? Why am I living? I want to invite you to the cross because this cross proclaims the purpose of God being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you engaging in Christ, you start to engage in the purpose of God. I want to say we think we're offering such a little thing in the gospel. You know what we are as Christians? I realize this is me. Sometimes I'm ashamed of how little I'm offering in Christ. We'll just believe in Jesus. Let me tell you now, we forget as Christians what it means to have this glorious compass of Christ, navigating our lives through the storms and the rocks, making us feel that there is meaning to suffering, meaning to perseverance, meaning to living for something outside of myself, meaning for something that is after death. I tell you tonight, this morning, what we are offering in Christ, it is purpose that the world has got no idea of. I tell you, Christians, you are invited to not live for yourself. What did that lead to? The cross. Death, I tell you today, you are invited to participate in life, which is Christ. Christ in your workplace. Christ in your family. Christ in your private life. Christ in your marriage. You name wherever it is, Christ comes as the authority and compass for your life. So that you're not, you're not going around all meaningless. When you lose your job, you know God still is the provider. When you lose somebody who's close, you know God is still your comfort. When you are trying to find your way, you know God is still your wisdom. What a privilege to live as a Christian. Can I get an Amen. No, my friends, the reason why this incredible Easter proclaims death is because it is the way of life. And you're invited into it. But it starts by recognizing this matters to you. You're connected to the cross as I am. Let's pray. I want to give a moment before we're going to rush off for two things this morning. Let me tell you, it'll be the best thing that you give your time to. So just relax. The first is this. There is somebody here who needs to come to Christ. I want to say to you, if you have been trying to build a court case by how good you are in your life before a God... Now, I asked you, why should they let you into heaven? And that's your answer is because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to live a good life. I tell you today, the message of God's love for you is to say it is not enough. <laughs> Drop your court case and come to Christ. Let him be your defense before God who is perfect in judgment. Let him be the perfect witness before God to say, I have not sinned for your behalf, that he might receive you fully. 
that he might pronounce over your life in Christ not guilty. And I want to say, if you've been wrestling with a guilty conscience and you felt like you're just needing to find some form of life and meaning in this life, come to Christ this morning. Come to Christ. And I just sense if you've been doing this Good Friday thing for many years and you've separated yourself from the need for Jesus, I want to ask you, have you done this in your life? Is this ritual a religion or is this coming to a relationship where you recognize I belong to Jesus? That's why we're here. And if not, I want to help you do that tonight, this morning. And I want to help you by helping you pray to talk to Jesus from your heart. And if that's you, I want you to say to Jesus, say, Jesus, you know my life. You know my life. Would you say that to Jesus? Would you say that I have no defense against you? That my life stands before you as an open book. My life stands before you as an open book. You've read every page. (laughs) And you see my sin. Today I'm coming to Jesus. Would you say it? I'm coming to Jesus for my rescue. I see myself on the cross. Would you say that? To Jesus, I see myself on the cross, the weight of my sin. Would you cover me in Christ? Would his death become my own? Would you say that? I believe in him. I believe he died and he rose again. I believe he died and he rose again. Would you say to Jesus, I want to live for you. I want you to be my purpose. Would you say that to Jesus? That's you from your heart. You just keep talking to the Lord. Welcome to the family.